This is Grace Grit and Getting It Done, the podcast for women who want to focus on their personal development and their professional priorities, increase their earnings, expand their influence, and advance up the leadership ladder all the way into the C-suite. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. My podcast, Grace Grit and Getting It Done, offers a practical guide for women working in the corporate arena. Weekly episodes feature conversations with recognized experts, authors, and influencers. I'm covering topics from navigating corporate culture and coping with gender bias to prioritizing self-care and managing work-life balance. For more information, or if you'd like to contact me, send an email to lisa at bigsky.coach. There's no dispute, the world today is in crisis. Diminishing natural resources, increasing air and water pollution, melting polar ice caps, rising sea levels, and one out of three people worldwide don't have access to clean drinking water. Many people don't wanna face the harsh reality of global warming and others continue to deny the impact of climate change on all living things. The world's in a precarious state. You could say life on earth as we know it is now on the endangered species list. And that includes the species called human beings. I am so thrilled today that I have an expert in this field, Misha Booty. She is the director of wildlife care at the San Diego Zoo. And she's gonna share her vision, not only of inspired leadership, community outreach and ethical animal care. Misha, welcome, welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm so, so thrilled to be here. I'm so happy you're here. So so let's jump in because I really wanna know the critical importance of the job you do. Please share that with our listeners. Absolutely. You know, and it's it's funny, I've been interested in nature and animals for pretty much my entire life. But having the opportunity to have a career where I'm impacting this field uh, is is just it's a gift to me. Um, And the reason why I think it's so important is because we are currently experiencing the sixth mass extinction. So all of those incredible species that we share this this world with, we are losing them at a higher, much, much higher rate than we would typically see. There is there is, of course, a natural rate of extinction. But um, scientists say that the, the current rate of extinction is hundreds or even thousands t- of times higher than what it would normally be. And for, for the listeners out there, you know, it, to hear about a mass extinction, you might think, well, when was the last time this happened? And the one that people are most, most folks are familiar with happened 65 million years ago when the age of the dinosaurs ended. Um, this mass extinction that we're experiencing is caused by humans. And so because it's caused by humans, I genuinely, in the core of my being, know that we have a responsibility to do something about that, to try to stem stem the loss of all of these incredible um, animals and wild uh, and, and plants that we share this, this earth with. Um, yeah, yeah. I mm-hmm. do want to ask you, and this is going to be an uncomfortable question, so let's just get it out there. Mm-hmm. I know that many people, uh, some of the people that I'm very close with, refer to zoos as being unnatural, that this is keeping animals in cages, much like a jail. How would you respond mm-hmm. to them? You know, I, I understand where some of these folks are coming from. They they care deeply about animals, and they just want to make sure that those animals are experiencing the best life that they can. 
And the great news is that I, I am on that same page. Um, that is exactly what professional animal caregivers believe as well. And we're very fortunate to have the expertise and the skill and the training and the opportunity to directly impact the, the lives and the welfare that our animals are experiencing. And we do regular scientific assessments to make sure of that, to measure that. Um, I, I also think it's important to say that, you know, as much as I love the profession that I'm in, in an ideal world, the nature, nature out there would be a place where all of these different species could absolutely thrive. But unfortunately, we humans have created all of these different scenarios that make the wild inhospitable to so many of these species. Um, and so what modern good accredited zoos are doing is you know, creating an opportunity for us to work on all of those different spaces out there in nature to try to reverse some of the damage that we have done. And in the meantime, raise awareness about all of these creatures with members of the public by inviting folks to join us at our zoos and aquariums and learn about these animals and create empathetic connections between them. Learn about their plights, learn about their conservation stories, um, and help us support all of that work that happens out in the field. I love that. So the research and the education is also focused on people to say, we have the ability to actually reverse this course. Yeah, mm -hmm. so important. Just talk to me a little bit about how this industry has so significantly changed. You touched on it, but I know that you bring an incredible amount of science and research into your day-to-day -day and working with your team and working with the animals. Oh, of course. I I just light up when I come to work every day because the people that I work with are truly experts in what they do. They know they not only do they care deeply, deeply about the animals that they're caring for and their wild counterparts that they're, you know, working to help preserve and and, and save, but they are some of the smartest people that I have ever encountered. And and it's it makes me feel so good to know that these minds and these uh, th this level of energy is being put into saving these these animals. Um, talking a little bit about sort of the evolution of zoos, and you you kind of you touched on it up at the top of uh, the intro your introduction, but the perception of what a good modern accredited zoo does is you know we're we're also fighting that perception is is fighting against all of that history. So decades and decades and decades ago, you know we we were in a different place, but. Uh, it is it is our responsibility to help enlighten members of the public to understand what 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 it is that we do. So we know that we need to tell our stories better. We need to tell our conservation stories, the conservation successes and the different work that we're doing. A lot of people know about the California condor, at least especially here in California. It's right. one of the most iconic conservation stories. You know, the, that species had dwindled down to 22 individuals, 22. And through partnerships, the San Diego Zoo was one of the partners, the Los Angeles Zoo and Santa Barbara Zoo and, and others, um, also in partnership with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. You know, we were able to save that species from extinction. And now there are over 500 condors, California condors, in uh, that exist. And more than half of them are soaring in the skies throughout here, here uh, in the West. Um, oh, that is an so awesome story. That is an yeah. awesome story. So if you could give listeners just one step they could take 
to understand and to support the efforts of animal preservation, whether endangered or just animals in general in the wild, what would you tell listeners to do? Oh, one thing, well, I mean, probably the easiest thing is come and come and visit your local zoo, your local accredited zoo, right? Um, the Your visit helps us maintain not just the animals that we're caring for here on grounds, but also help support all of the different local and global conservation projects that we're involved with. Um, that's probably the easiest and probably the most fun thing that folks can can participate in. But just being aware of the impact that you yourself have on the environment, all of those things are ultimately connected. Be aware of, of the level of consumerism that you're participating in. Be aware of local politics and the and what it is, you know, the different um, measures and laws and, and politicians who support pro-environmental causes and, and activities. How did you start on your journey? I'm so curious. <laughs> oh, well, um, you know, it's funny when you're in, when you're in high school and you start preparing to go to college and everyone says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you have to think about what it is that you're going to study. And at that time, I thought I was going to study English and drama. And so that's what I applied to colleges for. But once I got there, I really realized that although I'm, I have some strengths and well, I don't have strengths in drama, but I have some strengths in, in, in English, um, where my heart really lies is, is in the sciences and, and specifically having to do with, with animals. And so I switched my major to zoology and I have not turned back. It turns out that is absolutely the, the track I should have been on. Um, and I, and I like to share that because I think a lot of, um, high school students, especially, really feel a lot of pressure to know exactly what it is that they're going to do with their lives. And I think that that is a time in a person's life where they're still learning who they are and learning where their strengths are and where their passions are. And I also think that, who knows, I, I'm not done working. I might, I don't think I will, but <laughs> the, the, you could also change your, your track later in life as well. And I Absolutely. think that some people sort of get really uh, really stuck in, in one one track early on or thinking especially that they need to figure that out early on. Yeah, I know that uh, in a conversation we shared that your grandmother had a really big influence on your career. Can you uh, just share that with our viewers? Oh, of course. Um, so I had turned, I'd become a zoology major, but I didn't really know what I would do career-wise. And so I tried a few different things. I did some, some salt marsh research. I did some lab, lab research, um, lab work. Um, and then and I was having a conversation with my grandmother who lives in New York City. And she said, well, I have a friend who works at the Bronx Zoo. Why don't I connect you with him and he can give you some advice? And I didn't know who he was at the time. Now I know who he is. Um, but George Schaller is a very, very well-known, well-respected conservationist, and he has worked at the for the Wildlife Conservation Society, which runs the Bronx Zoo and, and some other organizations as well in New York. Um, and so he gave me he gave me some time and chatted with me and gave me some really excellent advice, which is that if I was interested in working in conservation, I had to understand upfront that it was ninety nine percent working with people. And so if that was not the thing that I was interested in, in doing, then I should maybe look at something else. And so um, that luckily for me, I, I love people and I absolutely am drawn to, to that side of this work. Um, 
But from there, I ended up with an internship at the Bronx Zoo, taking care of the animals there. And uh, after I graduated and I had a couple of more internships and volunteer opportunities at the Mystic Aquarium and uh, the World Bird Sanctuary, I returned to the Bronx Zoo and became a wild animal keeper there. And so I was there for a few years, took care of all different kinds of really amazing creatures. Um, but what I really loved was when I would be walking from one habitat to another. And, you know, I usually had a bucket of food in my hand or something to go feed somebody. And the guests would always stop me and they'd want to ask me questions. And I loved talking with them. I loved being able to share the stories of the animals that I was caring for and relate their stories to their wild counterparts. And so I shifted a little bit after working at the Bronx Zoo to working more in wildlife education, where my job was was actually to talk to people about these animals and educate them. And things have just continued since then. That I love that 360 approach that you had where you said you worked with birds and then you worked with exotic animals. And uh, that, that really, that's a very grounded approach. That is a very grounded approach. Um, I, what, what would you, what sort of experience or, um, let's use this phrase, words of encouragement you would share with your younger self based on what you know now? Oh, goodness. Um, I, I have always been a, a dreamer and a thinker and, and a wanderer. And so um, I, I, am, I am an idealist. I have a lot of ideas about how we should be doing things. Um, and although I, I also have strengths working with people and I know how important it is to lay a foundation to make sure that you have the relationships so you can work and collaborate together, you know, that, that takes time. And so uh, I, I have learned that I need to balance my idealism with the pace of really dedicating time to creating those relationships. So I would probably tell my younger self just to slow down a little bit and be patient. <laughs> But I will so also hard. say that it's so hard, but the, um, you know, the, the drive that I have, I, you can't diminish that. I mean, that, that is, that just goes, I just have to, um, in my own head, remind myself that it will take time and I will get there. I will get to, you know, uh, see the, the vision that I want to see, um, but it will take time. Yeah, um, take and I'd breath. also tell myself, yeah. And, and I'd also tell myself to just not doubt myself so much. Um, yeah. There have been times in my life where I've just I've second guessed myself and and I I do operate a lot from my gut. I have a good instinct about a lot of different things, but sometimes uh, there have been there have been times when I doubted myself and I might have missed out on an opportunity or something. Uh, this I think this happens to all women because we tend to be self conscious mm -hmm. and the self awareness doesn't always come into the fore. I do need to ask you because much like me, I was in a male dominated industry before I got into coaching and speaking and everything I do now. And I would imagine your industry is male dominated. Did you ever get that message as you were climbing up the leadership ladder? Uh, women don't do this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting in, in the, I've been doing this for over 20 years now. Uh, and I have, I have seen a shift even in, in the time, in the time that I've been in this career, that it, it is less male dominated, uh, through, at, throughout the different levels. At the top, it's a little bit still dominated uh, by males, but it's it's changing. Um, I would say that I've never been told that outright and I've never experienced it outright. Um, but I did once not get a job and the person who did was a guy. And, and when I asked, well, what did I need to do to 
prepare myself to be a better candidate in the future, I was told I needed a PhD. And the guy who they hired instead didn't even have a master's. So that was pretty frustrating. But then when I looked around at the other women that I saw in in roles of leadership, they all had advanced degrees. And so fair or not, that is that was the case at the time. And so I went ahead and got my master's degree. Uh, and I'm very fortunate that I was sort of required to do that because I, I got a lot out of that program. I love the way you took what could have been an obstacle and turned it into an opportunity. I'm so impressed by your leadership because you do have that 360 quality where you're able to understand who you're speaking to and modify the communication. So you're seen, heard and understood and the person you're speaking to feels seen, heard and understood. Um, so I would, I'm going to use a word here, creative problem solver, <laughs> very astute, uh, able to read the situation and respond appropriately. So with all of those skills you have, I want you to just talk to me about some ongoing challenges you face and how do you address them? What are they and how do you address them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, we talked about it a little bit in the last segment. You know, I, I, I do still struggle a little bit. The, that self-doubt can show up as uh, some people are aware of the, um, the phrase imposter syndrome. And yes. <laughs> I didn't necessarily realize that I had it until I realized I had it. Um, but it's something that I am actively working on. And the, the best way that I'm able to sort of combat that is through the, the incredible support network that I have developed over the years, whether it's my 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 partner in life um, or whether it's coworkers or bosses, uh, mentors, sponsors, advocates, all of those different things. Um, I'd also say that um, while a support network is 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 sometimes hard to find the easiest people to get to give you some feedback are, are your peers sometimes and your peers can hold up a mirror to you uh, and you can see yourself for as um as it, how they see you and so that has helped me uh it's still surprising to me that i have a reputation and that it's a good reputation that i have done enough to warrant having anybody know who I am. But um, that really helps me combat some of that imposter syndrome. Um, I'll tell you, we have I have a, a few different group texts of different peers uh, in the profession and different friends, and we call ourselves our personal board of directors. And so we're able to give each other really helpful feedback when when we make a misstep or when we're really doing something well and we don't recognize that we're doing that well. So I think that that is, that is an ongoing challenge that, um, that is being worked on. So that, that's really great. And I'll, I'll say that as you, as I have realized that the, the things that I am good at, it becomes easier to be good at those things because I'm, it's reducing some of those blind spots that I've had. Right. I think you're really hitting something which is common. I think for a lot of women, we have so many external influences on it. We have the media, we have cultural expectations, we have societal expectations. And there's this idea of what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. And we should be doing perfect it perfectly. And so we come to almost any challenge with this thought of, I'm going to give it my all. Oh my God, it wasn't enough. So I love uh, the idea of the board of directors, that mm -hmm. circle of support. And you, sp you spoke to something else that was really important, which is 
when you network, you're going to find individuals who will be on your board who may not be someone who you necessarily speak to every day, but you respect them, they respect you, and there's a mutual understanding there. So for anybody listening, if you haven't created your board of directors, which should include both men and women, do it yes. because it is it is so essential. Now, I, I want to ask you, and this is something we talked about that, that I really love. What have the animals taught you? <laughs> uh, what have the animals taught me? You, you know, uh, I'd actually say that it's, it's not so much the, what the animals have taught me as much as what the animal trainers have taught me, right? So when we train our animals, we set them up for success. We provide them context for what it is that we're asking them to do. Um, if they don't do the thing that we want them to do, we don't yell at them or punish them. Um, we take a look at, well, how, what did I do to, to make the scenario uh, not conducive to this animal's success? And I think that that approach is, that is, that approach is, is how I lead as well, right? Um, we're animals too. Humans are animals. Correct. And so the difference between a human animal trainer training a uh, non-human animal is that we, we don't have English or we don't have our, our language or to be able to communicate with that animal. We, we find other ways to communicate, you know, with, with different cues and signals and, and reinforcers and whatnot. But we as humans have the ability to reinforce uh, the different kinds of behaviors that we would like to see in in the folks that we surround ourselves with. And so I think that when we understand that and we can apply it to our, the relationships that we have with people, you know, that there's a, there's a big learning piece there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, basically we were talking about behavioral understanding and how to create an environment that encourages the type of behavior that's positive for everyone versus the disconnect. So it's really communication. You said something that was brilliant too. It's that it's the way you lead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, yeah. So right. important. Talk to some important leadership skills that you have that would probably help other people if they could develop them too. I know it's a little loaded. I'm asking for a value. Sure. Judgment there's a, well, there's a lot of different things, but, um, the thing that I've been talking about a lot recently is as a thing that is often overlooked, but is really, really key is self-care. Um, we do not take care of ourselves well enough. And it seems like a selfish thing to do when you have a lot of different things that you need to be focusing your attention and energy on. It seems like a selfish thing to focus some time and energy on yourself. But the thing is, if we don't show, if we don't take care of ourselves, we cannot show up in the way that we want to for the folks that we're leading. And so I can't care for others if I'm not caring for myself. Uh, and I think that's particularly important with mission-driven folks. Mission-driven people are some of the worst at self-care because the things that we're working on, the causes that we care so deeply about, those those are always there. They, they don't turn off at the end of a workday. Um, and so if you're an empathetic person too, it's if the last couple of years have been, have really put empathetic people through the ringer because we are just feeling and caring so much about all of the, the awful stuff that's happening in the world, the trauma that's going on. And so being taking the time to take care of ourselves, setting the time to, um, to make boundaries, you know, all of that is about maintaining our capacity to care yeah. and to take care of other people. 
Yeah, you bring up a really important point about self-care is that if you're not maintaining your own self-care, you're not at 100% for the other people or the other actions or the other projects you're working on. And then ultimately, we get into burnout, which is a big issue for many women. Misha, I, I want to ask, look back at your career. What are some things that you're really proud of having accomplished thus far? Because you're just getting oh. started, my friend. <laughs> well, I, ha I have been doing this for over 20 years, and I and I point that out only because when we were talking earlier about you know have I ever been discounted having you know being a woman, uh, I, I there have been times when people have underestimated me because I do look younger than I am. Um, but I will still say uh, that the the times when I have been most proud are when uh, coworkers of mine find some really incredible success uh, or even small successes. But if, if I can see the light in their eyes, you know, uh, man, that is that is really, really fulfilling. Um, but I recently so I've been at the San Diego Zoo for less a little less than a year. Um, and at my last job, uh, the person who has taken my old role used to be a volunteer for me came, became an employee, went on to become a supervisor, became a manager, and now she's the director of husbandry at the California Science Center. And that just, that just makes me giggle with delight. I, I absolutely love that. Um, and the, one of my employees there is now the VP of Living Collections. And that, I mean, it's just, it, it makes me so, so happy. If I had even a smidgen to do with their success, it makes me super, super happy. Um, I also participate, I'm, I'm an instructor for a course, it's the graduate program that I took is the Advanced Inquiry Program through Miami University, and one of the courses is Master Plan in Action, and it's a strategic planning course. And so n even before I actually graduated, I started helping teach that course. Strategic planning and long-range planning is something that I, I really love thinking about and making, making those different steps towards a big goal. And so to date, I have helped 172 students create their master plans for conservation action. And that just makes me super excited, too, because the scope of their pro of their master plans is is ranges and the different kinds of things that they do. Is, it, go, it goes all over the place. And so the level of impact that all of these different students are having on conservation in their own way, you know, is is so fulfilling to know that I had a little bit of something to do with that as well. And then the last I, thing is just because I'm here at the San Diego Zoo for less than a year, but I can already see that I'm helping improve the the culture and the the work environment for the staff that I that I have here. And so that that feels really great too. I hear so many hallmarks of leadership, that ability to motivate and inspire others, that ability to cultivate skills, see a talent in someone and go, oh, I see the potential. And also that inherent quality you have of, I know I can make this better. I'm going to do that. That clear vision and that intentionality. So let me ask a sort of an icky question here, because you know, there's got to be one in every <laughs> bit of questions. If you could do a do-over, is there anything you would do over? Is there anything hmm. that you would change? You know, um, it's not that I don't have regrets. Of course, I think everybody should recognize the things that they wish they had done differently. But 
if I hadn't done those things the way that I had done them, I wouldn't have learned a lesson and I wouldn't be the kind of person and leader that I am now. So I don't know that I would want to do them over because I wouldn't have learned the lesson. And so I think the things that I would want to do over are the things that have been really super happy and, and joyful just because they were so much fun. <laughs> oh, I see. To repeat I, I, in another example, in another experience, that that same action. Um, you speak to something that's really brilliant, which is growth mindset, which is that idea of, oh, it didn't quite turn out the way I thought. So what would I do different next time? And how yeah. can I make this better next time? This is, we're talking about the work of Carol Dweck, growth mindset, which mm -hmm. it, again, your leadership is exactly something that other women can look to and model on. I, I'm just so mm -hmm. impressed. So if people wanted to get involved, well, one, let's just get out because I haven't done it yet. How can people reach out to you? What is the easiest way for people to reach out to you if they wanted to learn more about what you do or get involved or how can, how should people reach out to you? Um, I would say you, certainly you can go to the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance web, website and, and explore the website. Um, but I'm available to connect with uh, on LinkedIn and you have my name on the screen here, Misha Bodie, and so you can you can search for me. I think there's only one of me. <laughs> Great. So let's just spell that. It's M I S H A, and the last name is B O D Y. And go. find find Misha on LinkedIn. So if people wanted to get involved and they didn't necessarily want to reach out, but what could they actually do in their day to day to work on this great need we have to help animals that are endangered? Uh, yeah, well, we talked a little bit about this, but I, I think there's two ways to answer this. The, the first is, is how people can help support wildlife conservation, right? This is the why I do all of, all of what I do. I, I do this in order to impact wildlife conservation. And there's lots and lots of different ways that a person can do that. Um, the, the first is to educate yourself about, you know, pick, pick an endangered species of your choosing, learn a little bit about what the threats that species is facing and see what it is that you can do to help mitigate those threats. Um, or you can come to a local zoo. You can support the work that we do that way. Um, reduce, reuse, recycle is a common phrase that a lot of people you you know know but reduce is the most important part of that the very very first word is reduce and we really do need to think about how we reduce the level of consumption that we have because that over consumption and the over exploitation of the world is is you know essentially the driving factor in a lot of a lot of these different threats and i think the second thing that i would want to say um, speaks a little bit to the leadership component of of what we're talking about today. And that's about what can you do for the people around you, whether it's your family, your friends, your coworkers, the communities that you work in, there is something that you can do for the folks that, that you surround yourself with. Um, you can have an impact on those people. And I think that if we all were a little bit kinder to one another and a little bit more compassionate with one another, a little bit more empathetic, that would really go a long way in, save, in, in solving a lot of the different problems that this world has. Yeah, showing compassion to oneself and all living things, including people. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, Misha, it has been my 
absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast. If people want to reach out and connect with Misha, find her on LinkedIn. She is M-I-S-H-A. The last name is B-O-D-Y. You can also go on the San Diego Zoo website. There's all sorts of information there. Um, if you're in California, go visit the zoo. If not, there's all sorts of great stuff on that website. But again, if you want to connect with Misha directly, find her on LinkedIn. Her name is M-I-S-H-A. The last name is B-O-D-Y. Misha, thank you so much for being a guest today. I so appreciate you being here. Thank you, Lisa. This is I'm I'm so thrilled. I, I love the work that you're doing. And I love that, you know, you and I connected maybe five years ago in a networking circle to, to go back to one of the things that we were talking about before. And I've just really enjoyed, you know, seeing the different work that you've been doing and, and all of the different women that you're helping support in advance. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done. I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. If you'd like more information or to contact me directly, send me an email, lisa at bigsky, B-I-G-S-K-Y dot coach. Lisa at bigsky dot coach. Thanks for listening.